This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We now turn to Ecuador's environmental and climate change agenda. Chairing this morning's session is Tanya Miranda, the Institute of America's Director of Policy and Stakeholder Engagement for our new Environment and Climate Change Program. Tanya comes to the Institute after having worked for close to six years for Mexico's Ministry of Foreign Relations at their consulate in New York and their embassy in Washington uh, with a background as an economic analyst uh, with an, and focus on renewable energy. She's a graduate of the University of Southern California with a degree in economics and also um, earned her master's um, in international public policy at Johns Hopkins um, Science School. At this time, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Tanya, who will be chairing the session. Tanya, take it away. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to everyone that is joining us this morning for tuning in to this brief yet very timely session with the Ministry of Environment, Water and Ecology Transition in Ecuador. As the Institute held many other fabulous panels in the past few days with other ministries from the last administration, we did not want to miss the opportunity to have a conversation about environment. As many of you may know, we are less than a month away from the UN Annual Conference on Biodiversity and less than two months away from the most important climate summit of the year, the UN Nation, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change Conference of the Party 26. As such, environmental issues are high on the agenda of the international community at large. The summit this year is of particular importance because it, it is a deadline for countries around the world to submit an update to their international climate commitments delivered for the historic Paris Agreements of 2015. Ecuador did so already in 2019, and it substantially increased its climate commitments both on adaptation and mitigation, a testament of the country's willingness to do its part on this fight against climate change. Another testament of this is the name of the Ministry of Environment in and of itself, which included the ecology transition into its name. This new focus on ecological transition will be a crucial element of the Ecuador's strategy to tackle the climate crisis and to its transition to a low-carbon economy overall. Ecuador is one of the top 20 most megadiverse nations in the world. It is home to the Andean Highlands, to the wildlife-rich Galapagos Island, more than 161,000 hectares of mangroves and blue-carbon ecosystems, and the Ecuadorian Amazon. Beyond mitigation strategies on transportation, energy, and other sectors, leveraging and conserving these diverse terrestrial and marine biomes need to be at the center of Ecuador's strategy on climate action. To hear more about these plans and learn about the LASSO's administration's new ecological focus, it is my great pleasure and honor to introduce today Karina Barrera. She is the Vice Minister of Environment for Climate Change in Ecuador. Karina Barrera has 20 years of experience formulating, directing, and executing environmental initiatives, including those in circular economy and sustainable development. She is an expert in risk management for investment projects, as well as implementing projects on adaptation and mitigation with indigenous communities in the Amazon. Barrera has contributed in a variety of public roles in the past, such as advisor for the Ministry of Environment, where she participated in negotiations of the environmental chapter of the free trade agreement with Chile and in the formulation of the regulations for organic code on the environment of the Ecuadorian constitution. So thank you again, Vice Minister, and, and the floor is yours. Uh, bueno, eh, I am 
the vice minister of the environment and I deal with climate change in my normal role. And I want to share some of the important things we're doing in Ecuador. First, I would like to share some pertinent information about our protected areas. As was stated in the introduction, Ecuador is one of the 20 most mega diverse countries in the world. We have 63 protected areas and 3.88% of our land is protected. We added three new protected areas through December of 2020 was only 60. And again, 3.8% of our land is under conservation. In Ecuador, we also have three different regions. And it's I should note that 6.4% of the Amazon is located within Ecuador. In central Ecuador, we have our Sierra, our mountains. Then we have a coastal area that limits with the Pacific Ocean, in addition to the Galapagos Island, which are part of Ecuador, including the Galapagos Island. 9.77% of Ecuador would be national protected areas. When it comes to conservation, Ecuador has about 10,500 square meters of protected areas or 10.5 square meters per resident of protected areas. Now, when it comes to water, here are some relevant indicators because our ministry is environment, water, and ecological transition. When it comes to water, we see that we have uh, most of our water supply and the Equatorian Amazons. We have about 361,000 cubic hectometers of water available in Ecuador. As you can see, there is a huge water supply in Ecuador. However, in our coast, we do experience severe droughts and we can experience water scarcity. So the water stress is most evident in our coastal regions. However, we still have problems with water access. 94% of our population has access to water and 20, only 22% of our wastewater is treated. So that is a pending item. So approximately 78% of the wastewater still needs to be treated. Now to that end, there are several initiatives that we are implementing and that I will tell you more about in a moment. But first, let's talk about climate change. Ecuador emissions 0.18% of all worldwide GHG emissions. The sectors with the largest contribution to greenhouse gas or GHG emissions are the energy production sector and transportation. 50% correspond to transportation, then we have industrial processes, and then agriculture is also one of our significant emitters of GHG. Changes in land use when it comes to deforestation is also a significant contributor. And then we have our waste sector. Again, there are challenges that need to be met when it comes to appropriate waste management throughout Ecuador. With this slide, I want to illustrate our environmental footprint versus biocapacity. We still 
are a country that has a credit as far as resources available. This is Ecuador, and here you see the rest of the countries in the world. Ecuador has uh, about 37% of excess biocapacity versus its environmental footprint. The environmental footprint versus biocapacity is a significant indicator that shows how we are using our resources. That is, it is the balance between how much we use of the resources we have. All of these indicators show that we have commitments to do around the world. And one of Ecuador's com commitment is the first determined national contribution, which was issued in 2019 for the 2020-2025 period. And our commitment when it comes to energy, industrial processes, waste, and agriculture is to reduce by 22.5% our emissions versus uh, the levels it had in 2010. And for the the land use change or deforestation sector, we want to reduce GHG emissions by 20%, 4% in a, an unconditional scenario and 16% under a conditional scenario. And this is versus the reference period, which is 2000 to 2008. When it comes to other sectors, our unconditional commitment is to reduce by 9%. We are looking for funding for the 13.5% that would remain out of that commitment. There are several initiatives in Ecuador to meet its commitment, develop hydroelectric power, doing climatically smart farming, Farming also contributes significantly to GHG emissions as well to our deforestation. We have committed to reduce GHG emissions in one of the largest energy consumers, which is cement kilns. We are also going to be capturing methane at our landfills, and we're implementing uh a huge conversation program, which is the uh, forest uh, conservation and sustainable production for the Equatorian Amazons. And again, these are the unconditional commitments. And on the right, it is a conditional commitment for a cost of $2.2 billion to Ecuador. In that same contest, Ecuador is susceptible to the effects and impacts of climate change. And one of our priorities in Ecuador is to adapt to climate change. To that end, we have developed different management tools. Ecuador is currently developing its climate change adaptation plan, setting risk management mechanisms to adapt to climate change and our water generation, natural resources, health, human settlements, productive and strategic sectors, food sovereignty, agriculture, farming, aquaculture, and fishing. That is on the side of adaptation. Now, when it comes to climate change mitigation, we are working on our 
decarbonization transition plan and some of the initiatives it includes are a significant tool that has received international renown for Ecuador, which is our action plan to reduce emissions from deforestation. This is a breakwater for us when it comes to mitigation measures. As far as other sectors, we have priority sectors, which are the ones I mentioned earlier with specific actions and the funding it would be required that would be required rather in order to achieve them now our commitment also will build capacity include technology transfer and a very special chapter on a gender focus which is another of our priorities now let's talk about one of our most successful tools which is the deforestation emission reduction plan Ecuador is number two in uh, uh, reducing emissions from deforestation. And one of the reasons is this plan that was implemented in 2009 and which became national policy in 2016. We have an action plan for uh, forest conservation for good living. And our policy also includes a nationwide structure and policy. There are a lot of emissions reductions plans that have a particular focus per region in other countries. But in Ecuador, our plan is holistic. It is nationwide. And one thing that sets Ecuador apart is in the sense that it protects the rights of nature. And two of them in our constitution is the right to restoration and the right to have nature preserved. So environmental services are considered part of our uh, national assets such as mining or oil. So our natural resources are considered within our constitution as a strategic asset. And the environmental services derived from this, uh, these natural resources cannot be uh, subject to purchase and sell transactions. So this action plan is based on that so that we can issue compensation for its conservation and it focuses on public policies as well as a focus which again is not per province or per region but rather by landscapes with ecosystem services for each of these landscapes it guarantees land ownership and it also considers people and communities in ecuador and guarantees their rights when it comes to nature and that is how each of the actions within this plan are implemented. And the plan focuses on reducing emissions from deforestation in alignment with our determined national contribution. So this strategy, this plan has four important axes. One, institutional policies and management. That is to include these this concept within our domestic policy. Again, if we have a national focus, same focus has to permeate into our regional policies. The second axis is a transition to sustainable productive systems. We are working in different systems and value chains that are free of deforestation. We have identified the deforestation drivers when it comes to agriculture. We know that uh, cacao, coffee, palm, and farming have been the main drivers of deforestation in the Amazon in particular. So we have initiatives to transition to more sustainable productive 
systems or production systems. We The third axis is sustainable forest management through different types of incentives and control systems and early alert systems and strengthening controls to prevent illegal marketing of wood and our biodiversity. The fourth axis is conservation and restoration. One of the most significant uh, policies for forest conservation in Ecuador is the Socio Bosque or Forest Partner Initiative. Its aim is to provide an economic incentive to people or communities or businesses if they contribute to preserving our forests. It is an initiative that also seeks to include bioeconomy and bioentrepreneurship so that people that preserve these forests can receive a compensation that can also be used to develop development alternatives for communities in order to reduce pressure on our forests. And it has been a tool that has allowed Ecuador to become um, uh, payments for results with uh, the German cooperation with Norway. And just to show you some of the things that we are doing, part of this action plan has allowed us to receive funding that is being used through programs of international recognition, one of them being the pro-Amazon program. This is implemented in the Amazon within Ecuador, in addition to two other provinces in our mountains and coast. As you can see, we work on institutionality and policies, building life plans for our indigenous community and land use reordering programs. We also work with farming associations and agricultural associations to build their capacity and knowledge to be able to transition towards new agricultural production processes. We work together with the Ministry of Agriculture to that end. And we have several conservation strategies as well. We do so through the Pro-Amazon project, in addition to the REM program, which is funded by the Payment for Results uh, program. We work with coastal provinces and mountain provinces in this program. One of another rather relevant issues as part of our action plan is the environmental and social safeguard system. The safeguard system includes information management, verifying impacts within Ecuador. We are also institutionalizing the uh, native uh, practices and knowledge, creating an information system that will be available towards the end of the year, collecting all of that ancestral knowledge, that native knowledge, and we will also protect, protect their intellectual property now we're doing intercultural cross-cutting programs and we are also disseminating all of these ancestral practices and native knowledge because it concerns us that new generations are not conserving that historical native knowledge that ancestral knowledge and by creating this registry with these communities we are re-empowering new generations to preserve their practices we're also working on respecting intangible cultural assets. In this regard, we do uh, public 
comment mechanisms so that we can work directly uh, with the communities where the initiatives are being implemented. And in addition of these platform, in addition to this, we have platforms for continuous exchange with the different communities. That just to give you a brief summary of some of the initiatives that we are implementing under a Red Plus framework. Something very significant, however, that we are promoting as a priority for our administration is the ecological transition. The president of Ecuador has set it as a priority through an executive decree, and it sets different activities. But its goal is to foster an inclusive development model that is low in emissions, that is climate resilient, and that balances economic growth with the regeneration capacity of ecosystems that can take advantage of the potential of its natural assets, but guarantee access to natural resources for future generations. This model is a change in paradigm in our country. And it is something that doesn't belong just to our Ministry of the Environment and Water, but it's rather cross-cutting and will be applied through different mechanisms. And it has important principles such as minimize some of the negative externalities of traditional systems, keep resources in use and reduce waste through a circular economy, and to allow for the regeneration of our natural assets. That is the conceptual framework for this ecological transition. So what does an ecological transition include for us? We need a water transition, an energy transition, a transition toward decarbonization, and to foster circular bioeconomies and take advantage of our natural assets. We know that in the world we live in where climate change is clear, and uh, the last report from the IPCC showed that human impacts are clear and that its effects will be much more intense than what we have seen so far, makes us realize that having the types of natural resource assets as we have in Ecuador can also be an access for our development. So the circular bioeconomy hasn't been taken fully advantage of, but we have some initial studies that allow us to identify value chains we can develop in the future. We know that education, innovation, technology have to accompany each of these transitions in addition to new economic and tax tools. This is a very broad concept that we're just beginning to develop for each of the different sectors. Now, what are the uh, drivers that we need to develop for this ecological transition? We need to change our energy matrix based on renewable energy. Right now, about 17% of production is renewable. However, over 70% still um, uh, depends on water resources before fossil fuels. And one of the significant actions for the transition will also be sustainable mobility, smart cities, the circular economy as a whole, to not look things as waste, but rather as part of the natural flow of materials from water to energy. We know that it's also hugely important for our country based on as environmental responsibility laws, identify materials that are being extracted and being exported or imported even, or using in our industries that could have a greater impact in the economy and that could cause more pressure in, on ecosystems. 
So having the environment as part of the circular economy is key in order for it to have its maximum impact. We know uh, doing the transition to Industry 4.0 and digitizing will also be a huge sparking for sustainable public uh, purchases. We're working with CETICOP, which is the agency that manages public purchases in Ecuador. So I'm working hand in hand to develop a prioritization system so that we can develop products and criteria for sustainable purchases. We also have deforestation free value chains as another priority as well as compensation and financing mechanisms. One of our short term goals to this end is to develop the zero carbon Ecuador program. The zero carbon Ecuador program will ask companies to look at their carbon footprint, both as a company and per product, so they can see the true impact we are causing on climate change. And based on that, establish efforts to reduce that carbon footprint. And after that, to look at compensation as an alternative to create a balance between carbon footprint and the emission reductions we need to achieve. Our first compensation program is being created in Ecuador in the context of our environmental services. So we've been able to strengthen our Red Plus network. And during the second phase, we want to establish these compensation uh, remuneration schemes to have uh, reforestation, waste management, and energy efficiency. So those are the three main areas that our compensation approach is focusing on. We are also building a national transition plan toward decarbonization, which is one of the axes of this ecological transition. We have begun the process through uh, an open process that involves the community, and the president will launch the process this next week. And we anticipate that it will take two years, starting with community involvement now, and we will establish our routes toward decarbonization through mathematical models that will allow us to establish transition scenarios and create a critical route with different indicators and goals, as well as investment plans, in addition to establishing future public policies, uh, subsidies, incentives, policies, tax tools, and plans that each of the different areas need to have in place in order to have achieved this critical route toward decarbonization. We anticipate that the analysis will, or study will be finalized by November of 2023. And that is one of our key challenges moving forward as are other elements of our ecological transition. So again, I've tried to give you an overview of what Ecuador is doing and its current efforts, what they're doing thus far. And its perspective towards the future. I now close by sharing that for Ecuador, the priority today is transition because transition is transformation. And the government's responsibility today is to enable this general framework, both of public policies and in funding, so that we can all be a part of this transition. And we know that it will be a long-term process and our decarbonization transition has a horizon to 2050. And that is part of the challenges of evolution in our country. Thank you very much for allowing me this space. And I will gladly answer any of your questions. 
Thank you so much, uh, Vice Minister. This this was a very thorough uh, presentation on what the country is doing on on climate change and on environment, and it's really encouraging to listen to um, all these strategies regarding the bioeconomy, uh, the biodiversity uh, reconstruction, bioentrepreneurship, and the fact that you're tackling it as a whole of government approach as opposed to uh, the Ministry of Environment working in silos. It seems that you will be coordinating efforts with um, with other sectors of, of the, the Ecuadorian government. So that, that's very encouraging. Um, and it really resonates with what the experts out there are saying of what it's needed to really decarbonize and transition to a green economy. Um, so I want to congratulate you. And... Um, Going off on, on, on that train of thought of the bioeconomy on all these um, strategies that you were talking about regarding nature-based solutions, um, you talked about the Payment for Ecosystem Services program that you have um, in the forestry sector. I, it seems like Ecuador has a lot of experience in that area, and um, you should be exporting this knowledge to to other countries in the Latin American region. It seems like it, it's uh, it's been really successful since it's something that you've been doing for for years. And um, I, I'd like to ask you to, to tell us a little bit more regarding the Red uh, Plus Action Plan and uh, all these forestries strategies. What the ministry is planning to ensure that um, indigenous communities and their livelihoods, uh, we know that there are many um, in, in the Amazonian region in, in Ecuador, how to ensure that they are an integral part of these plans moving forward, how they will interact with these programs that you're envisioning um, as uh, to make them part of the transition and not leave them behind. Uh, thank you. Uh, we are working with them uh, with different initiatives. You you can feel free to speak in Spanish, and, and there's uh, the trans the translator, Karina. Okay. I think. Okay, we work with different um, initiatives. On the one hand, we have a, a, a table which is institutionalized, and it's called RedMass. And that's where we take the decisions. On the other hand, within the pay by resolve mechanism, one of the incomes that we have gotten has been put into action to construct an implementation plan, which is directly managed by indigenous communities. And there is a percentage of these funds that go towards financing this implementation plan they have had directly, well, they have been able to see how they visualize their contribution aligned uh, with their cosmovision directly without the intervention of the state. And I think that's an important challenge for us because now we're going to be, or we're gonna have they're going to have to show that they can uh, manage these resources so that they can take advantage of this program. Okay. If, if this program is, is successful, it'll definitely be a, a case study for, uh, for the region and for, for the entire world. So it, it, I really hope it, um, it goes as, as planned. Thank you for that, Karina. 
Um, the second question is uh, a question I had, but we also had from someone from the audience. Um, and it has to do something with something that is relevant to many other um, countries in the region at large, not only Ecuador. Um, and it has to do with the, the energy projects that are planned for the future. Um, we heard from, from the past uh, panel on the energy issues that the Lasso administration is planning on increasing and doubling oil production um, for, for the near future. And this is important because I understand that around 28% of Ecuador's um, income comes from, comes from carbon intensive industries and from oil rents. Um, but you also have this other really ambitious targets on carbon uh, mitigation for the Paris agreements. You, you spoke a little bit about that on your presentation. Um, so th the question would be how uh, the government is planning on reconciling this goal um, of doubling the oil production um, with the international commitment of reducing emissions from, from different sectors, including the energy one. Um, and a, a second part to my question would be regarding the environmental impact of the same uh, topic of oil production. Because um, as we know, the Ecuadorian Amazon is home to a large portion of Ecuador's oil reserves, um, to most of Ecuador's endemic species, a lot of uh, indigenous communities. So it, it would be great to understand what the government is planning to uh, ensure the protection and conservation of this, uh, of this ecosystems, of the water resources, et cetera, as they, um, as they go forward with the energy uh, goals. Okay, Ecuador is a country under development that depends of short-term resources. In the case of our country since 1970, we have increased the oil uh, dependency, but we also have to say that the 500,000 barrels of oils that Ecuador produces, 60% are used for internal use and the rest of them are exported. And I think that there is an important situation when it comes to offer and demand, when we see that the countries that buy our oil, such as the US and China, which are the biggest economies, which are still working with fossil um, fuel, if they reach their goals, in the case of the U.S., um, reducing 50% uh, of emissions by 2013, and in China uh, to reduce their carbon print projected to the year 2060, if all of that happens the way it has been planned, definitely the demand for oil in countries such as ours is going to be reduced. Unfortunately, Apparently, this could be um, uh, uh, conflicted policies, but the reserves of oil in Ecuador are not as big as you would think. But as long as there's a demand, there might be an offer. We have a reality that, ha that we have to accomplish. We went back 10 years after the pandemic. We, um, our, our GDP failed 10% due to the pandemic and saying that the government is not going to continue exploiting oil would, uh, would be a lie um, because this would go against our basic needs that you could clearly see in our indicators. We have a long-term and a short-term poli poli policy. Today is 
the day to create this frame of work. We have to think about the productive alternative that could replace this other system. And this is what this transition plan um, has to do. But first it has to be created. We have to have a, a route sheet. We have uh, short-term goals and long-term goals with a different development model. Thank you for that, Karina. It is, is definitely hard to um, to tackle this issue because I, I, I know that, of course, um, the the short versus long-term objectives are, are very different. Um, but I'm glad to hear that the long-term perspective is to to transition eventually away from uh, from that income that's dependent upon um, extractive industries and oil and this will help Ecuador definitely navigate the transition and avoid um, risks that have to do with that um, fiscal situation. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, for that answer. I, I know it's a, it's a tough issue. Um, I think we have uh, a few more minutes for one last question, um, if possible. Uh, and it has to do with climate finance and what you talked about regarding this finance gap, um, I believe you mentioned it was 13% of your unconditional uh, nationally determined contributions that um, where you were missing financing. And of course, on top of that, you have the conditional commitments. Um, and th this is an issue that is being raised all over the world regarding developing countries because after the COVID-19 crisis, um, most developing countries are, are scrambling to get resources. Many of them are being moved away from climate targets. Um, so I, I guess I just want to know what uh, what the country is is thinking about. Will it increase resources from its its fiscal resources dedicated to this um, to the implementation of the NDCs? Um, is it going to be looking for uh, international financial institutions and what what is a plan to, to close that finance gap? Well, we have different initiatives. The fact of creating this compensation regulation is going to allow us to have uh, having finance to implement uh, money towards the national determined contribution level. And we also have other plans that have to do with the climate financing, and it has to do with uh, local banks so that they can help us increase green products that will be put towards territorial initiatives. We also have this other world movement, which I think is part of what's going to be discussed under Prop 26. If the developed countries um, bring all these dollars to the different international funds, Ecuador will have bigger benefits and implement this mission. But within these uh, government priorities is that transition through the change of the energetic matrix. The multilateral bank is playing a very important role as far as financing this kind of projects. And I also think that this change of vision in the banks and, and finance institutions will allow Ecuador to finance these projects because definitely we have a lot more projects 
that are transitioning into renewable energies for our country? Yeah, it, it's it's uh, a very difficult issue, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned COP26 because I, I agree with you in that I've I've been doing some research and, and I've been working on this topic a lot, and it seems like the private sector and the uh, multilateral d development banks and the developed countries need to really step up their game um, in, in helping developing countries um, implementing this uh these commitments because they are the less responsible for for the climate crisis in which we're in um but it seems like the the, the plan about getting resources in ecuador to be um sustainable um and not only depending on on international assistance is um is something that it's uh, that it's encouraging and and good to hear um It, it seems like we're, we're running out of time. I know that um, we need to wrap up. So I, I, I want to thank you again. If, if you want to give a final comment, please uh, go ahead. Um, on my part, on, I want to really commend you on, on the leadership that Ecuador is showing on climate action and on uh, environmental protection, uh, because that is the type of, of leadership and, and strategies that we we should be seeing across Latin America and the Caribbean. And that's what I would like to see across the region. Um, so congratulations again for, for everything that you're doing. Um, thank you so much on behalf of the Institute of the Americas. Um, and if, if you want to say something, and if not, I'll turn it over to, uh, to Richard Kai. I would just like to thank for the invite and the space. Thank you so much, Vice Minister. Uh, back to you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Minister Barrera. Uh, Tanya, the excellent session on, on the uh, issues that uh, Ecuador is, uh, is confronting on the, on the environment climate change front. And I'm very um, pleased with the progress that the Lasso administration is, is making with um, the agenda that uh, Vice Minister Barrera You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.